If you ever start to feel like you have the goofiest, craziest, most dysfunctional family in the world, all you have to do is go to the state fair. Because five minutes at the fair, you're going to be like, we're all right. We're good. We're dang near royalty, says Jeff Foxworthy. The, the point is that all families are dysfunctional in some way and on some level. We all are. All families on the face of this earth have, have issues. They, they have some sense of brokenness. Mary Carr says a, a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. So if you've got more than one person in your family, then you are dysfunctional on some level. No family gets a pass here. And kids growing up in dysfunctional family have a tendency to adapt, to adopt or, or at least assign certain family roles in their family. If you do any study in psychology, then you, you know there's six basic roles kids usually play in their family. You have the good child, which is known as the hero child. That's the child who makes the family look, look good. They follow all the rules. They do all the right things. Then you have the problem child, the rebel, the scapegoat, the one who is blamed for all the family's problems. You have the caregiver. This is the one who is responsible for the emotional well-being of the family, the glue that holds the family together. You have the lost child, the one whose needs are ignored or hidden, who is overlooked and lost. You have the comic. This is the family comedian who uses comedy to look to get past all the family's issues. You have the mastermind. This is the one who capitalizes on all the family members' faults to make himself or herself look good. Are these roles bringing back any childhood memories? Roles that you used to play or still play in your family? Kids, youth, what role do you play now in your family at this moment? How about this? What role do you play in God's family? What role do you play in your church? Because just like our biological families, church families are just as dysfunctional. They are. If you've been a member of a church for a while, you know this is true. And there are two dysfunctional roles we all play within God's family, within his church. You have the black sheep role, then you have the goody two-shoes role. And each of us can play those two roles given any circumstance or situation that we're in. The only good news is that the father knows our dysfunction. He is the father of dysfunctional sons and daughters. He adopts dysfunctional, messy people, not people who are flesh and, fresh and clean who have it all together. This is the aspect of his fatherhood that we're going to embrace today. He is the father of a dysfunctional family that all of us are part of. So if you have your Bible, 
Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the part, share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs were ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Let us pray. Father, I pray that these words will pierce my heart. That they will speak truth into my life. Bring to my heart the the goodness of your grace, the goodness of your mercy, the goodness of your care. I, too, desperately need your spirit, as all of us here do. And so I pray that these words that that it will come forth today, I pray they will be honoring in your sight and that your spirit will use them to minister to your people in the places where they truly live. I pray for this in your son's name. Amen. In Luke 15, 11 through 34, Jesus gives a parable that illustrates how God fathers his dysfunctional kids. Remember, there are two dysfunctional roles believers play within God's family. The black sheep role, the goody two-shoes role. Today we're going to look at the role of the black sheep. We're going to see how the father fathers the black sheep of his family. And the first thing we see in this parable is that the father here does not negotiate with his younger son. He does not negotiate with his younger son. A friend of mine told me this week about a conversation he had with his mother 
about five-year-olds. He, he said to his mom, he says, Mom, you can't negotiate with five-year-olds. You can't reason with them. And parents know you can't negotiate with your younger kids. It's hard trying to talk to them. It's hard trying to talk them down. And the father in this parable takes his advice. He does not negotiate with his younger son after his son comes to him to make a request. And so in this parable, it begins, you have a wealthy father who is approached by his younger son, who is, of course, the black sheep of the family. And this his father is just sitting at the table, and, and the younger son comes to him and makes a request. It's not a small request. It's not a respectful request. It's very disrespectful. What does he say? Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. The father listens to this demand, the demands of his son asking for his inheritance before the right time. The, the Greek verb that's been translated to give, it, it communicates a specific action the son wants from the father. He wants the father to be urgent. Don't waste any time. Be quick about it. Give me the piece of property that is coming to me. I want it now. The son basically wishes his dad was dead because you're demanding your inheritance before your father's death. It's an insult to the father. It's a disrespect to the father. But what if I told you that the father is not caught off guard about his son's request? Not only that, he's not even surprised by what the son does once he gets the property. Remember what I said last week. A wise father knows his child. The father here knows his younger son is a black sheep. The father here knows his younger son is blind and lost. The father here knows this, his younger son is prone to wonder. He knows his younger son is prideful and feels entitled. He knows his younger son foolishly believes he can find happiness apart from his house. He knows the son wants to leave and be independent. So the father wisely gives no pushback. He gives no pushback. He grants his son's request. The father does not negotiate with him. He doesn't try to talk him down. He doesn't try to reach a compromise. The text says, the father divides the property between them. He gives it to him. And the son did what the father knew he was going to do. Not many days later, he gathers all his stuff and takes a journey into the far country. He leaves his father's house. He, he moves far away from his father's authority, away from his father's care and provision. He gathers all his things because what? He's not coming back. He's not planning ever, on ever returning back to his father's house. He is finally free. Free to be his own man. Free to live and do whatever he wants to do. And again... The father doesn't negotiate with his son over the decision. He doesn't beg him to stay. He doesn't guilt him into staying. He doesn't use fear to get him to stay. The father lets him go. Now, is that love or is that unlove? What do you think? Does it mean the father doesn't care about his son by letting him go? 
Mm, the father cares. His heart goes out to his son. But this father realizes something that many parents here today have realized. Eventually, you will have to relinquish your kids to make their own decisions about their life. Eventually, you will have to do that. I mean, you can't let a five-year-old do that. But eventually, as they become adults, you do. Even if you disagree, you have to let them go. Knox Chamberlain, one of my seminary professors, says, The father here shows wisdom by relinquishing his son. Disrespects the freedom of the son. The father is not going to use force to get the son to stay in his house. Now, the father in this parable represents God. This means God the Father knows his children are black sheep. He knows you are. He knows that you are going to, at times, make foolish decisions. He knows at times you're going to live like orphans. I hope you know that. That he's never caught off guard by the time you wander into the far country. He knows at times you're going to rebel against him, against his lordship. He knows at times you're going to get lost and lose your way. And he knows at times that some of you here are going to make horrible mistakes and horrible decisions. He knows at times you're going to be disobedient to his word. Remember, he knows your frame. He remembers you are dust. For all of us here play the role of black sheep within God's family. It's in our hearts. It's part of our nature, our sinful nature. It's, it's not just the person sitting next to you. It's not just the, the unbeliever, the pagan, the atheist. It's you too. All of us wander from the Father's house, attempting to find happiness and peace apart from Him. Let's put it this way. We all backslide. We all do. We just think we don't. We always think it's other people or other churches or other denominations. But it's us too. And at some of those times, the Father does not negotiate with you. He lets you go your own way. Romans says, in, in, in Romans it says, at times he will give you up to the lust of your own heart and let you take a journey into the far country. Now he loves you. He cares for you. His heart goes out to you. But he does not violate the freedom he gives you in order to make you love him. God does not make us love him. He doesn't. Who's familiar with the term helicopter parenting? Helicopter parenting is, is, a, is a parenting style where, where parents overfocus on their kids. The parents function like a helicopter. Hovering over the lives of their kids. Like a helicopter. And in this helicopter, the parents are on the lookout for stuff. They're on the lookout for failure. They're on the lookout for disappointment. Any harm, any threat, any bad decision, or any mistake. And as soon as they spot anything, they scoop down like a helicopter and rescue their kids. They do that. And one doctor says, this is overparenting. It means, being, it means being involved in a child's life that is over-controlling, over-protecting, over-perfecting. And one of the biggest fears of helicopter parents is consequences. Negative consequences. They want to prevent their kids from experiencing them. 
So they overprotect. So they try to rescue them from the kids from those consequences. But the father in our parable is now a helicopter father. He does not scoop down and rescue his son from the consequences of his decisions and actions. Because there were consequences for the younger son. But the father did not go to the far country to save him from those consequences. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And there he was longing to be fed with the food that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. And the father heart goes out to his son as he, as he leaves the house. It makes an unwise journey into the far country. The father does love his son. That's why he, that's why he lets him go. That's why he doesn't track him down and bring him back. That's why he doesn't use force to do it. He could have. He could have forced him to stay, but that wouldn't be genuine love. So he watches his son leave. For the father knows that some lessons are best learned through experiences. Consequences are always the best teacher. Always. The younger son is going to learn this reality up close and personal. He just doesn't see it yet. Because the younger son is, is blind and lost. He can't see past the moment. He's on top of the world because he's now getting ready to be free. To be his own man. No more rules. No more authority. He can finally do whatever he wants to do. And trust me, he does. He dives head first into a pool of immoral living. While parties... Simple pleasure, simple delights. He foolishly lives it up in a far country as if it, there is no tomorrow. As if he had an endless supply of money and resources. But he doesn't. The text says he, he foolishly spent all of his property on reckless living. The money goes away. The friends go away. The women are gone. And now he's broke and alone. And to make things worse, a famine occurred in the country. Dad, he ain't planned for that. He didn't plan for that happening. There are certain things in the fallen world you just can't plan for. You can't. He didn't plan for the famine. It wasn't even on his radar, but it happened. And for the first time since he left his father's house, he is now in real desperate need. No more money, no more friends, no family. He's alone. And the text says he goes out and hires himself out to one of the citizens of the land who sent him in the fields to feed pigs. Now this guy is a Jew hiring himself out to a Gentile. And you know, for Jews, pigs are considered unclean. And so this, this younger son is in a bad place. 
if he's going to feed pigs just to make it. He was given the worst job. And not only that, he was hungry. So hungry, he wanted to eat the food the pigs were eating. He's at the end of himself. Do you see the humiliation? His shame? His hunger? Those are consequences. And the Father did not rescue him from them. He's dealing with them. He's dealing with them. Robert Stevenson says, Everybody, sooner or later, sit down to a banquet of consequences, whether good or bad. We all do. Are you at a banquet now? What consequences are you living with? You may be saying to yourself, well, this message does not apply to me because I'm not a black sheep. I'm not living an immoral life. So this applies to so-and-so. That may be true, but being a black sheep is an affair of the heart, not just an external action. You have to recognize that even as a believer, your heart have a tendency to be a black sheep still. But do you realize that? Or do you think it's just those people? Don't you realize plenty of believers have said, I would never have an adultery. I would never cheat on my spouse. Many pastors have said that. And in the end, they still do. Some of them still fall. Why? Because they're black sheep who have forgotten they are black sheep. They underestimate the sin that is still living in their lives. Yes, our God can protect us from falling. Yes, he does. But guess what? Christians still fall. Christian marriages still end in divorce. Christian parents still sometimes hurt their kids. Why? Because We underestimate the deceitfulness of our own heart. We think our heart is more good than it really is. We do. It's a lie of the enemy to think that it won't happen to you. That's what we think. When we see a brother fall, the first thing across our mind is, that won't happen to me. No, they got a separation, but it ain't ever going to happen to us. Never going to happen to us. None of us are beyond losing our way. None of us are beyond taking a journey into the far country. None of us are beyond stumbling. None of us are. Some of you know believers right now who are facing hard consequences because of decisions and actions they've made. You know some of them. Some of them are in your family. And God has not rescued them from those consequences. There's a such thing as corrective love. Letting us face our consequences. That is what the younger brother is dealing with, the younger son is dealing with now, corrective type love. And when he comes face to face with his consequences, he finally sees what the father always knew was true about him. He sees he is a black sheep. For the first time, he sees what the father already knew about him. He sees it for himself. I am a black sheep. I am a black sheep. For out of his own misery and despair, 
he comes to his senses. He comes to himself. He sees himself. He sees for the first time that, that, that I'm not going to thrive in the far country. The far country is thriving on me. I'm feeding pigs for crying out loud. I want to eat what the pigs are eating. I'm at the lowest of my low. Why? Because of my own decisions. Because of what I decided to do. I am where I am. The reality of his guilt and and shame, it hits him like a ton of bricks. But at the same time, as he's coming face to face with his own sin, he remembers something. He remembers someone. He remembers his father and the type of man that his father is. He remembers his father's kindness. He says, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. He remembers his father's house. So he arises up and, and to go face his father. And he's going to journey back to his father's house. It's going to be a long journey. But his reality is a journey of repentance. It's a journey of repentance. Because he's going to ask his father to forgive him. To forgive him for sinning against him. He's going to tell his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me like the help. Just treat me like the help. Take away my sonship and just treat me like a servant now. I'm no longer worthy to be a son. He's broken. He's humbled. And at times, this is how many of you feel and see yourself when you see the black sheepness in your heart. You see your unworthiness to be called God's son or daughter. You see it. But what the son doesn't realize is that the father has never forgotten about him. What the son doesn't realize is that the father is at home waiting on him. What his son doesn't realize is that the father is not going to take away his sonship. What the son doesn't realize is that the father has not disowned him. The father is still his father, even while he's in the far country. The father didn't negotiate with him. The father didn't rescue him from his consequences. But the father is still going to cover his son when his son comes home. The father covers his son. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father's house. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The son journeys to meet his father, and, and when he finally made it to, the, to that road to his father's house, the text says, while he was still far off, 
the Father sees him first. The Father sees him first and feels compassion, runs, embraces him, and kiss him, kisses him. While he was still far off, which means the son still had some distance to go before he got there. But the father sees him coming. The father was, means the father was waiting for him to return. Expecting him to return. Let's put it that way. And the father also knows that if my son is coming back, then things in the far country did not go well. The father knows that too. He knows when you go to the far country, it ain't going to go well. And so the father sees his son returning. The father knows that his son is coming back broken. The father knows that his son is coming back with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of humiliation. He knows that. The father sees him. And the father, is he filled with rage? Is he filled with anger? Is he, is he just sitting there getting ready to say, I told you so? Like some of us do our kids, I told you so. I told you what was going to happen. Now look at you. Is that what he's going to do to his son? Is he going to humiliate him? Is he? Is he going to? No. He feels compassion. Listen. He's already broken. He's already humiliated. He's already been shamed. He's already feeling guilty. The father doesn't have to do any of that stuff. He already sees it. He sees he's a black sheep. The father is moved with compassion. And so he runs to meet the son. Think about that. The father sprints from the porch, runs down the dirt road to meet the son, who's probably walking up the road like this. Like we sometimes do. I ain't worthy, Lord. Just rehearsing what you're going to say. He don't even see the father coming. He's coming to his black sheep son. He runs to him while he's still for all. Why is this beautiful? Because the father knows what he's dealing with. The father knows that, that when the son gets closer to the house, all those servants are going to be watching him walk up the dirt road. The older brothers, they're probably watching too. Like, look at him. Look at him. Look at him. I can't believe he's coming back here. You know how you do when certain people come to church? You start whispering. Oh, you do that. You do that. And so the father, instead of letting the son face those things, the father faces them on his behalf. On his behalf. On his behalf. The son is feeling shame, guilt, humiliation, and brokenness. But the father runs to meet the same son who sinned against him. The father runs to meet the same son who basically told him, I wish you were dead. The father runs to meet the same son who disrespected him. The father runs to meet the same son who told him, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I wish you were dead. The father runs to meet the same son who rebelled against him. He runs to his black sheep 
son to cover his shame, to cover his guilt, to cover his brokenness, to cover his humiliation. You know how he covered them? With an embrace and with a kiss. With an embrace with a kiss. That is grace. That is mercy. That is kindness. That is favor. That is forgiveness. He is covered. He is covered. And the servants, they just need accepted. The older brother, he just needs accepted. Because the father is going to do what he needs to do to cover his own. Even if it means shaming himself. Because he did. The father shamed himself in order to cover his son. You see the beauty in that? Do you see it? You see the grace? You see the mercy? The kindness? The younger son is probably in disbelief. I can't believe it. This has got, this has got to be the most, I can't believe this. He's taking me back? After all that I've done? Yes. He takes you back. And not only, not only does he take him back, he restores him. He restores him. He heals him. He didn't even pay attention to what the son rehearsed. The son was going to say, just make me a son. Just make me a servant. The father wouldn't even pay attention. He didn't even acknowledge that. Because in the father's mind, even when you wander, you're still mine. You're still mine. I don't care how far you wander. If you're mine, you're mine. My love will never leave. My affection will never let you go. My grace covers all your wandering. That makes it amazing. And those who have wandered far and have come back know what grace is, how amazing it is. Because it can bring you back from the farthest of countries. It can. And it will. What does the father say in verse 22? What the father says to his servants, bring quickly. Don't they? Don't waste no time. Bring it right now, the best robe. And a ring upon his finger, shoes on his feet. And kill the fattened calf. And let us eat and let us have a party for this son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he is found. He is restored. He is healed. The father never gave up on his son. The father never abandoned him. He simply gave him freedom to fail and he gave him freedom to make mistakes. And he gave him the freedom to repent of those. And God the Father does the same for you. He does the same for you. In the movie I saw last night, the running theme through this movie was this. Just because someone stumbles and loses their way, doesn't mean they'll be lost forever. As a believer, you will stumble at times. Some of you will lose your way. Some of you will take long journeys into the far country. But guess what? You will not be lost there forever. Eventually the Holy Spirit will move in your wandering heart and you will take a journey back to the Father's house through repentance. And there you will receive a kiss and an embrace because His grace is greater than the black sheepness of your heart. His grace is greater 
than the black sheepness of your heart. You got to believe that because that will bring you back from the far country. Let us pray. Father God, I've spent my days in the far country. I know what it's like to feel lost. I know what it's like to feel alone. I know what it's like to think you're going to find life and happiness there, and all it does is lead to more brokenness. And yet in those times, Lord, in those times of of brokenness, I sense your grace the best of times there. You brought me back from a lot. And I know many of us here have those same stories of how you brought us back from wandering. And the good news is, Father, that you will always bring us back. Those who truly know you, those who truly have saving faith in you, no matter how far they wander, they will come back home. And when we come, you are there waiting. And when you see us, you sprint to us. You embrace us with a kiss and a hug. And you restore us. And you heal us. The favor of the Father is our strength. A grace that is greater than our sin is strength, Lord. It gives us motivation. It gives us hope that our Father would never give up on us. That if our mother and father should leave us, you never will. And so my prayer for myself and for all of us here is that we will embrace the fatherhood of God more and more in our life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let us stand as we close our service.